What a great opportunity we have with the uh, book of Proverbs. You've you got to love this book. When you think it through, you've got a guy who's the smartest person who's ever lived, most greater wisdom than anybody given by God, who's going to teach his son, so he probably cares for his boy, right? He's going to teach him the absolute best he can how to navigate all of life with holy Spirit-inspired instruction, right? And so we have access to this as we look at all the stuff that we face in life in the book of Proverbs as far as how to deal with it in a, how to negotiate, navigate it in a way that honors him, that it's, it's profitable. Uh, we talked several weeks ago, if you remember, that just the division of the book of Proverbs. Fascinating book, 31 chapters in Proverbs. Billy Graham, years ago, he said, you know, what he was going to do is read one chapter of Proverbs a day, so therefore he'd go through the book every month, and uh, he did that for years. So for years, he would read the book of Proverbs 12 times. Now, if you're interested in understanding the wisdom of God and having its bearing on your life, that's not a bad, that's not a bad challenge. Well, when we talk through the division of, of the book of Proverbs, the division's pretty easy, actually. You got the first nine chapters, and then you got 10 through 31. First nine chapters, each chapter, basically speaking, is kind of a standalone. It, it is got one theme, generally speaking, one theme that follows through from the beginning to the end of, of the chapter. Now, once you hit chapter 10, though, whole different deal. Chapter 10 on, it's kind of like a, a shotgun. You know, it's just shot everywhere where, where topics are changing quickly. Sometimes like every eight words, the topic is shifting and changing from the next verse. It moves very quickly. It's kind of like the way life happens to us. This happens and this happens and this happens and some more of that happens and that happens. And it's the way Proverbs is organized. Now, last week, we looked specifically at the first nine chapters and we said, okay, what is the main topic in that first nine chapters? It was our sexuality. And so that's what we hammered on. If you weren't here, I would go ahead and, and get that, uh, get online and download the MP3. I mean, that's fantastic, though. I mean, that's a very Americanized deal, isn't it? I mean, he knows. Here's a dad who knows his older son. His son is getting ready to go off. And one of the first things he warns him about, gives him instruction on, is how to manage his sexuality. I mean, that's pretty, pretty substantial. Today, what we want to do is we want to look at chapters 10 through 31 and say, what is the main topic there? Now, the, the main topic there, I mean, it blows all the others away, over 100 verses for this next topic. Uh, but I got to tell you, it's a topic I did not want to address because it's the topic of speech, our tongue. And, and this is, this is why I didn't want to address it, because he, I, I can see the yawns already. Y'all are thinking, you know, I grew up in the church for kind of loud. I've had Bible study after Bible study, and someone's always talking about the taming the tongue, and yeah, we got it. Didn't we go over this last year in the book of James? And yeah, 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 we did. And so it, it's it's problem, though, and this is where I came to, because I was thinking, we're going to ditch this one, because there's a lot of other cool proverbs that I would want to, to address. But then I started thinking... If God thought that it was so significant that this thing is the number one issue, maybe, just maybe, he wants us 
to hear this. Just maybe, just maybe there's something in his word about this issue that we need to be reminded of, that we need to to get a handle on. And so let me uh, ask you to do this. As we study this morning, would you take just a second in your own heart and say, God, if you have anything for me this morning in your word, I'm all ears. I think God would want to answer that that prayer. So we're looking at it. Now, we know that the whole tongue thing really is a significant issue. Proverbs 6, uh, God goes through and he says, There are six things the Lord hates. Yea, my King James coming out. Yea, seven that are an abomination to him. Seven things, abomination. Make God sick. That's what abomination means. Seven of them, three of the seven, have to do with your speech. We recognize speech is kind of important, right? Because God created everything, not with a snap of the fingers, but with a word. He created everything. There are two words you can say in this life that I promise you, if you say just two words, if you, short words, if three letters for all, if you say these words, it will radically change your life. You say these words just once in the right context and it will radically, radically change your life. The words are, I do. You say those words in the right context. And everything shifts. We know that the genocide in Germany, the genocide in Rwanda, the genocide in Sudan started and was maintained with words. We know the Crusades started with words. Very, if you're glad we did the child dedication, because as a young parent, what is one of the things that you're really pumped about your kids? You want them to speak, right? You want, them, and so you're kind of trying to coax words out of them when they're little and moving their mouth and da da. Say it with me, come on! And you're trying to get, and then the kid sooner or later utters this unintelligible sound, but the parent is sure that he said da da, and it's like, yes, he said it. First word, first word, and he's he's got it down. But it's not too long down the road before that kid starts uttering other words, right? No. Me, mine. And so what happens is, is, is these words delighted the parent at one point, but now these words, same mouth, are crushing the parent. And that's going to be this kid's plight until he dies. He will say things out of this mouth that will both uh, build up encourage delight and will destroy and hurt. Uh, Proverbs 18.21 says this. This is fantastic. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Now, in Scripture, death is like the ultimate bad thing. I mean, it's, it's, you can't get worse than that. It's the ultimate bad. And life, on the other hand, is the ultimate good. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Solomon says, your tongue has the power of ultimate good and bad. It has, has all kinds of power. We know that the tongue can soothe or it can incite, right? The, the tongue can calm or it can infuriate. The, the tongue can, can heal the hurting or it can hurt the, the, some, whoever. With our tongue, we can, we can do all kinds of damage to hell's kingdom or to God's kingdom. With with our our tongue, we have the power of death or life. That's every one of us have that power. We all, almost all of us have a tongue. So we we have that ability within us. It's been estimated, now this is, 
I don't know how they do this, so I'm just quoting. But they, it's been estimated that mankind, average American, will spend 860 million words before he dies. That's a lot of words. That is, to help you understand this, that's um, speaking the equivalent of the entire text of the complete 20-volume Oxford English Dictionary more than 15 times. That's a lot of, lot of uh, words that we have there. So we've got words that can be very dangerous or very profitable. Very few neutral words come out of our, our mouth. Uh, we say a lot of them, and then when you throw this piece into the puzzle, it just changes stuff. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Just, just stop, think about this for a minute, don't breeze by this. There are other verses in Scripture that tell us about the judgment, no question about it. But here, Jesus seems to be emphasizing a piece of the judgment that awaits us. And there's almost a separate judgment, it seems, or a piece of judgment that's just for our speech. And he says, he says, you know, when I created, I did it with a word. And when your words create positive things, you're very much like me. Now, I gave you the ability to have 860 million of these. And I'm just here to see how you did. What did you do with these? And there's a judgment on our, our words. This is scary to me a little bit, but look what it says. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Now, don't, don't, don't go to this. Well, listen, this doesn't apply to me because I, I accepted Jesus. No, 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 no. What Jesus is saying here is one of the key barometers to determine whether or not you have any faith at all is a shift in your language. And if, in fact, your words have never shifted, never changed, your words reflect hell more than they do heaven, you probably need to pull a Paul and examine yourself and prove whether you're in the faith because he says you will be, be, be held accountable based on your words. Words are a big thing to God. They're, they're a pretty substantial deal. Proverbs 25, 11. How do we get these these these... Positive words, Proverbs 25, just it's fascinating. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. A word fitly spoken, that's the right word in the right time. Right word, right time. Word fitly spoken, it's like apples of gold in settings of silver. It's beautiful, it's a piece of, of, of art. It's like looking at a, a, a gorgeous sunset. You know, it kind of puts you in awe. It, you're, you're grateful. You're, you're calm. You're, you're, you're at peace. When, when you have someone speak words to you like this, it points you to him. Now, you need to know this is not referring to someone who has great eloquence, who's mastered the English language for us, who can string together phrases and vocabulary in such a way that is just, you know, wowing us. You've got to interpret this in the context of Proverbs. This, these are words that, that heal and bring delight and joy. And we would know such words, when people speak them to us, this piece of art, we're so grateful, beautiful. But think about being on the other side. Not the one who hears these words, but the one who speaks these words. You know, apples of gold and settings of silver don't just happen. This is craftsmanship. 
If you, a, a skilled worker had to imagine the apples of gold and sil- settings of silver. They had to choose in their heart and in their mind. They had to plan. They had to think. They had to hone their ability. This is craftsmanship. And what he's saying is your language, because it's so important, you need to give the focus and the attention to it, that you become a skilled craftsman with your words. If we're going to speak words that are fitly spoken, words that are delight, it's not going to be by accident. It's become, we're going to have to be skilled craftsmen with our words. So let me ask you, are your words mostly not thought of? Are they careless? I'm sorry, can someone get me some water? I'm all right, but... Uh... All right, let's keep going. I'm okay. Yeah, well, water would be great. They don't all run at the same time. <laughs> all right. <coughs> all right. All right, here we go. So, because we get 860 million... Got what? Got the water? Cough drop. All right, that, that's work. All right. Do I have any... Let's try it. Because... We've got 860 million words because we're going to be judged by them, because we need to be good craftsmen in them. What are you doing? What am I doing to become that kind of craftsman? What are we doing? Oh, thank you so much, Paul. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. I just figured no one wanted to hear me talk anymore. (laughs) What are we doing to get there? There's a lot of different principles in Proverbs on speech that we can look at, a lot of different ones. But there's one we want to focus on this morning, Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Soft speech, our speech needs to be soft. The word soft, it means tender, it means gentle, you know what it means, it means delicate, it means humble speech. And sometimes we're gonna, we hear this and we go, you know what? That's not my personality. Soft speech. Oh, yeah. We're thinking that means flattery. That means babyfying the people and overprotecting them. And that means not telling the truth. That's not it all. What soft means. Proverbs 25. Look what it says. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. The, the way Hebrew poetry works, and all the Proverbs are in Hebrew poetry, but the Psalms, a lot of the prophets, you can tell the goofy indenting. But the way it works, it's usually it's two lines, sometimes three. And the second line always, always points back to the first line. Sometimes it's, you know, the fool thinks this, the wise man thinks this. It's contrasting. Sometimes it just adds to it. Sometimes it just says the same thing over again in different words. So if you don't, You're going through Proverbs, not random thoughts here, and you don't understand one line, then look up to the one above it or look down because they will define each other. I say that to say this. Proverbs are not designed to read through quickly. I'm going to read through the chapter and check my thing. Okay, I read it. I read it. That's fine. Might as well have read the TV guide because the goal of Proverbs is that you stop and think and dig deep. It's the only way you'll understand. Well, what does it mean? A soft tongue will break a bone. What does that really mean? Well, you look to the line above it. 
with patience, a ruler may be persuaded. The ruler, he's the, he's the guy who doesn't obey the rules, right? He makes the rules. He is the one that, that doesn't answer to anybody. People answer to him. He's in charge. What he says goes. But somebody can change him, can influence him, can direct him with a soft answer. A gentle, it's the word, a gentle word. Being gentle with him. And what it says, when it says a soft answer breaks the bone, a soft answer can have incredibly powerful results. A gentle answer can, can change things immeasurably. That's, that's the goal here, soft answer. What this, what this speaks of, I think, is an American heresy that has made its way into church world, all of us. I'm just going to speak the truth, man. I mean, I, the way I am, I'm just going to lay it out there, and if they can deal with it, fine. And if they can't, that's their issue. You know what I mean? It's not my fault anymore. I'm just putting out the truth, and the truth hurts, and if you don't like it, oh, well. Well, you just got to know that's not sanctification. That's not from the Word of God in any way, shape, or form. Word of God says, soft answer. In other words, how you tell it, is as important as what you tell. Look at Ephesians 4. Look what he says. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. You speak the truth. you got to speak the truth. Soft answers always are always truthful. You speak the truth, but you speak it in love. I don't know if you've ever bumped your hand against sandpaper, or I don't recommend this. You take sandpaper, and you're, I don't recommend that. But that hurts, right? And that can cause you to bleed, and that's pain. On the other hand, have you ever had velvet come across your hand? Well, that's nice. Now, do, do that again. Well, some people with their words, sandpaper, other people, exact same message, velvet. And, and what scripture's telling you is if you're just sandpaper-ish, you're just a truth person, no love, he said, then just keep the truth inside. Because obedience is speaking the truth in love. It's not just speaking the truth. Please know that is not obedience. That has nothing to do with what God has for us. Speak the truth. And, and look at the, the reason why we speak the truth in love. I just think this is great. We, if we do this, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, Jesus. Who's the we? That's what I want to know. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow. Well, that, that's partially me. Do you, do you see this? When I choose, when I choose to speak the truth in love, when I choose to have a soft answer, when I choose to respond in this way, I grow in maturity. When I choose to respond truthful in love, I get to know Christ better. I grow in deeper intimacy. I understand what it means more to walk in the Holy Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit. I understand more of what it means to know Him. I live in His presence more when I choose love and truth together. But look, if you look at the text, the we also incorporates, includes the people I'm talking to. When I, when I choose the soft answer, when I choose truth and love, then the person I speak to, person I'm talking to, they are benefited. They grow in Christ, or at least they have the potential to grow in Christ. Now, if 
Just look at look at 15.1. A, a soft answer. Turns away wrath. The word turn. Fascinating. It's, it's the word shuv. It's the Hebrew word for repent. A soft answer brings about repentance. It brings about change. It brings about... This is always the, the maturity. This is always the goal of our speech. It's redemption. It's the other person. It's not me puffing up myself and my kingdom. I've used a lot of that there. That's not the goal. The goal is the other person to grow in Christ. If your goal is to, to give them a piece of your mind, if your goal is to let them know how much they hurt you, if, if your goal is, is to humiliate or to shame, then certainly use harshness because you're an ambassador of hell at that point anyway, and so that's the language you need to speak. But if your goal is for the person to be redeemed, to change, to shift, to grow, to look more like Christ, you use softness. That's, that's so clear throughout, throughout the word, the word of God. That's that's the goal. It turns away wrath, changes that direction. They're going a direction. The anger of, of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. They're going down a direction that they ought not to be going down. And it shifts, it changes. I remember one time I was in a, not, not here, it's a different place. I was having a meeting, and uh, I was leading the meeting. I don't know whether 20 people in the meeting. And one of my direct reports challenges me in this meeting. I mean, and they don't just challenge me. They, they're kind of vicious with me. This is, someone, I'm their boss. And they are laying into me in a major way in front of everybody. And so I had the, the wherewithal at that point in history to say, you know, let's take that offline. Well, after the meeting, we went offline, right? We went in my, my office. And I had my sleeves rolled. I was ready for a fight. I wanted one. And so I, I was livid. I was livid. I ripped in and don't you ever, don't you ever. I was there. He is a uh, counselor. And what he did taught me a ton in just a few seconds. He, he didn't, you know, pull one of these. He opened up his, his body. He leaned towards me, not in a, an attacking, offensive, mean way. Took down his volume to just barely above a whisper, and he apologized and he talked. Well, I wanted a fight. He wasn't going to give me one. Doggone it! But what he did is just his, his stance, just his his tone, just his soft answer. It's like he he opened the valve in my pressure cooker and just released. I just knew I wasn't getting one here, and got me to a place I'm able to hear. And we had a great. Great conversation with that. You know, one of the things that amazes me about this Proverbs 15.1 is Solomon is sharing this with the person who's going to become king. You know, you know, kings don't need to worry about this. Someone comes into your presence angry and ticked off and upset at you as a king. You know, you have their head cut off. It's not a big deal. You're done. We're out of here. You're, no one's going to approach me like that. I'm the king. You don't have to worry. But Solomon knows this is so huge. He's, he's the king. And he's telling his son who's going to be the king. He says, you can't use your authority that way. Your authority is not meant to, for behavior modification. Because you're in power, you can control everybody and make them do what you want them to do. But that's not what we're after. We're after that, that turns from wrath, that repentance, that inner change. And the only way you're going to get there, it doesn't matter if you're the king, the only way you're going to get there. Is a soft answer will get us there. You know, 
as I do, that when you get into a heated discussion with somebody and, and the, the, the people start seeing red and their, their volume and their pitch starts raising, you, you know at that point rationality is done, right? It's pretty useless to say, hey, calm down. You know, that's not going to work. It's, it's useless to say, hey, you're just like your mother. You need to shop. You know, that's not going to work. I'm just telling you. It, it, it's useless to call him a baby or to raise your own volume. Or A soft answer. A soft answer. Uh, turns away wrath. Changes wrath. Well, let's, when you think about pictures, what does this look like? Real, real quick. There's a story in, in First Samuel that I think better than any other picture shows us this. First Samuel chapter 25. And just, just, just listen. Notice first verse, though. Most people are going to bypass this first verse. It's key to our story, though. It says, Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in the house of Ramah. All right. Put down the back burner, but remember. Here's our story. David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. David is right now a fugitive. He's being chased by King Saul. He's in the, the desert. Uh, King Saul is trying to kill him. David had already you know, wiped out Goliath and, and won victories for Israel. But Saul is now trying to take him out. And so David's on the run. He says, there was a man in my own whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing the sheep in Carmel. Sheep shearing is kind of like harvest time. You know, when, when all the food comes up, it's ready to be harvested. It's a joyous celebration. Everybody gets paid. It's payday. And so it's payday for these guys because they're sheep shearing. Now, the, man of the, na- the name of the man was Nabal and his wife was Abigail and the man was discerning uh, the woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing at the time that they were with us in Carmel. So ask your young men, and they'll tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David." Well, they, they weren't shaking down Nabal, okay? This is not the Godfather. They really took care of them. They really did protect them. This would have been normal to say, okay, now we took care. Can you help us out? We're hungry. Help us out a little bit. We're in this desert. So when David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David. And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears? Not some eyes there, right? And give it to men who come from I do not know where. Now, he, of course, he knew who David was. Everyone knew who David was. David, again, he had killed Goliath. His fame was all over Israel. But he's kind of slamming David. It's like, David, David who? 
Why should I care what David thinks? He's just a slave who's ran. Isn't he a fugitive? Isn't he running from his, from his master? He wants me to give him my food? <laughs> Please, go back and tell David, not today. Not a good thing, right? So the guys go back and they tell David this. They relay the message. And then David, we know, we know, we know, a harsh answer stirs up wrath. Now, David should have overlooked an offense. We got that down. But still, Solomon says, you know what? A harsh answer stirs up wrath. What Nabal didn't know, what you and I knew, is that Samuel had died. And maybe Nabal knew that. But I don't know if Nabal knew that Samuel was David's mentor. He was one of David's Friends, he was the only ally David had in the government of Israel. Everybody else was against him. Everybody else had a contract out on him. But Samuel, who had a lot of power and influence in the government, uh, was pulling for David. Well, now he died. And so David, is he's, he's distraught. David is an emotional bad place. And you know how this goes. If you're an emotional bad place and somebody throws some hard stuff on you, they better look out, right? So this is David's answer. So David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword. He says, you know, we're going to go visit Nabal. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like the way he's talking to me. David is, is going to respond harshly because a harsh word stirs up anger. Yeah, yeah, it's going, it's going now. Well, in the story... After David's men tell uh, Nabal this, and Nabal responds as he did, a servant runs. You know, David's men start to leave. A servant runs to Abigail, and he, and he says this. He's, One of the men, young men ran to Abigail, Nabal's wife. Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, and all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this, and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. He says, Abigail, I'd come up with a plan if I were you, because you know we're all going to get scalped here, us, your children, you. If you I mean, this is, a, this is a bad deal. This is a bad deal. So the story, Abigail, she's a she, quick-thinking gal. She pulls her servants aside and she says, okay, you, I need a donkey loaded with bread and wine, and I need it in five minutes, go. Okay, you, you guys, I need five sheep dressed, ready, ready to be cooked, go for it, on a donkey, move, I got five minutes, make it happen. Okay, you, I need cakes of raisins and grain and cakes of figs, and I need it loaded up on a donkey, five minutes, make it happen, go. Five minutes down the road, she is she has got this caravan of donkeys. Now, about this time, she's heading down, and David had already heard they strapped down their swords, and they were all coming, and they run into each other on the way. Abigail responds with a this harsh anger with a soft word. This is Abigail's soft word. It says, when Abigail saw David, she hurried. And got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my, my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal. 
for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly, basic folly is his game. Nabal means fool, right? So she says, she says I know he's a fool. If you notice her response, soft words. She's respecting David. David's seen fire right now. David just killed, wants to kill everybody. By the way, let me mention this. This was David's response. He's walking down, the, before he met Abigail, he's coming down the trail. He's got 400 guys behind him with their swords. And this is what he says. David looks behind him, looks over his shoulder, and he says, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned to me evil for good. Then he says this, God do to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. That's huge because David is making a vow to God that God would would do these terrible things if David doesn't wipe out Nabal's family. I mean, this, this is big. God just, he just, David just promised before God that this was going to happen. All of his men are like, man, I haven't seen David this ticked off. So they're, they're moving. Then he meets Abigail. And Abigail's first, first response is respect. And it's honor. She doesn't say, David, what are you doing? You idiot. This is stupid. You're going to, you're going to screw things all up here. She recognizes that injustice was done him. Perhaps she knows some of the pain going through. Samuel died. I'm not, I'm not sure, but either way, she responds. With honor, not what you're doing is stupid. Cut it out. She recognizes his, his injustice done to him. And then she says this. She says, uh, Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let these pre- this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to all the young men who follow my Lord. And please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord, the Lord, will certainly make my Lord a sure house. It's gonna, you're going to be the king, David, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. You're faithful to God, and so he's going to give you a dynasty. Evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. Basically, don't start now, David. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. God has protected you to this point. Don't go vengeance, David. Don't do that. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel... My Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause for my, or for my Lord for taking vengeance for himself. You see what she's saying? These are soft words, but these are in his face. She, 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 she's saying, David, think for a second. Uh, you're you're going to be king, that, which means these people you're getting ready to slaughter are going to be your subjects. These little kids that you're getting ready to kill, they're going to be they're going to be your subjects. And you're going to be king. God has promised that we can trust him, right? And David, when you become king, you, so far you have not shed blood for your own kingdom. And and so don't start now because when you become king, your conscience will be picked and you won't be able to be the servant that God needs you to be. So don't, don't sin in this regard and separate yourself from the Lord. He, she is saving him. 
from horrific sin. Her goal for her words, to protect herself, maybe, but she could have got on the donkeys and went the other direction. Her goal is, is to turn David, and in the process, she saves all of her children. Herself, down the road, her Nabal will die, and David remembers this and asks Abigail to be his queen. Uh, she saves David's conscience. She, in some sense, protects the nation of Israel because of her soft words. Amazing stuff. Soft words. Soft words. I think this is why Solomon would tell David's son, maybe he was thinking about this, would tell his boy, a soft answer turns away wrath. It's the only thing that can change, that can turn the direction. of It can break a bone. It's powerful. But only a soft answer. You know, a study was done a couple of years back done of, of, of medical offices, right? And in this study, it says this. It says that when doctors spoke rudely to their staff, both accuracy and performance suffered. The medical teams exposed to bad behavior and nasty comments demonstrated poor diagnostic and procedural performances than those that were not exposed to incivility. Which, which means, right, if a medical office is lowering their production, then people are dying. I mean, it's pretty serious. And then the, the, the goes on, the, the lead researcher comments, and he says, relatively benign forms of incivility among medical staff members, simple rudeness, have robust implications on medical team collaboration processes and thus on their performance as a team. Rudeness and lack of kindness undermine people's ability to think clearly, make good, make good decisions. It steals confidence and weakens motivation. Think about your home. Think about your friendships. Think about the church. A place where... Incivility, where harsh words are, it's gonna, if it lowers the production in a medical clinic where they're all supposed to be focused on, on that, can you imagine what it does? It will take, for, steal from your home, which your home could be. It will steal from your, your goal for your children, what that will be being realized. It will steal from the church, the, the ability to be the discipling Mecca that we were supposed to be. But on the other hand, the opposite's also true. If, Soft words are present. If people decide I want to be a craftsman with my words, if people decide my words are not about vengeance, they're not about me puffing myself up and, and demonstrating to everybody what I know, and they realize that my words are to be soft for changing, what happens? In a church, we become the discipling mecca we're supposed to be. Our families become what they're supposed to be. Our relationships and friendships become what they're supposed to be. And so, question for you and I, according to Proverbs 15.1, have we, our words, are they soft answers? Or is it just, I'm just going to let it all, are they, 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 they soft answers? If you struggle along this way, you think you could struggle, which is like everybody, I hope you think I could struggle with this, because yes, we all do, I would take this, Text, I would put it on a card, I would memorize this thing, I would pray through it on a regular basis. God, would you help me to be this? Because you know when I get face to face with with anger, I kind of lose control. Would you please help me here? 
make this a, a dedicated commit, commitment to, to, to be a person, a craftsman with their language, someone with soft speech. And God will uh, change the world through us. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, it's, uh, you know, this week even, thinking through this uh, message, thinking back to people, even when I was a little boy, who said uh, hurtful things. I don't remember a whole lot of the scrapes and cuts and bruises, but some of the things that were said uh, scarred. And I thank you for people you brought across my path who understood this, who used their words, even in confrontation, to grow me. They cared for me. And I knew that, Lord, by your spirit. And I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here that we would be people of soft speech, that we would be people, God, who, who share in order that your kingdom would grow. Would that be so? Would that be so? Lord, please. And, and Father, for this church, we pray that that would uh, transpire for us corporately. And God, even this offering that we, we take up now, would you use it to that end? For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.